Welcome into the Cougar Tailgate, where BYU fandom lives. Here's your host, Lauren McClain. What's up, my friends? Lauren McClain here with Cleon Wall, and we're doing what we do best, talking all things BYU Cougars. Here's what's coming up on the show today. BYU is going bowling. We'll talk about what our ideal postseason destination would be for the Cougars if it were up to us. Plus, we'll chat with Troy Clarity, play-by-play and creator of the podcast TreeCast, covering all things Stanford football and about how he thinks Saturday night's matchup between two Flannering teams will play out. But first, BYU played its first and only FCS opponent of the season last week. Did the Utah Tech Trailblazers blaze just a little too big of a trail for our liking at Lavelle Edwards Stadium? Cleon, hit me with it. All right. Three or more takeaways from uh, the BYU-Utah Tech game. Uh, I never feared that BYU would lose this game. Even when they were down 6 to nothing, I thought, eh, BYU's going to win it. I just didn't know how close it was going to be. It was an ugly start to the game. Yikes. Uh, the offense didn't look crisp to start. They did score 28 points in the second quarter, which made it an eight-point game at halftime. I was still thinking, how did you allow them eight point? I mean, 20 points at half? But anyway, uh, rushing attack is still shaky. Offensive line isn't getting much push at times. I didn't get to see Jacob Conover, Lauren. I didn't Boo. get to see him. I know. Because of how this game progressed, I, I was really disappointed in that. Maybe against Stanford? I guess we'll see. Uh, wide receivers, by the way, they were so much fun to watch. Uh, Keanu Hill, Chase Roberts, they show they can be big-time wide receivers again. I do wonder how they will fare when Puka Nakua leaves, whenever that is. Uh, and I don't know when he's going to leave. Um, anyway, the last thing I'd say is I always like it when BYU plays in-state teams. So in in the grand scheme of things, I'm glad that BYU played Utah Tech. Yes, agreed. And I, and I think you're right about Puka Nakua. He was being double-teamed basically that entire game, so it opened up a lot of different things for yeah. the other wide receivers. But I started the game, Cleon, by sitting by some Utah Tech students, and uh, I was sitting with my family for a little bit. And I couldn't take it because, first of all, I'm like, what is happening? How is this happening right now? And I don't want to listen to you guys, so i got to get out of here. So I moved. BYU had a, the just a slow start. They've had slow starts the entire season offensively. I just want BYU to come out firing on all cylinders, ready to blow out an inferior team, a team who started the season clean on one and six, an FCS team. And BYU still couldn't quite go over the edge, you know what I mean, in that first half. But alas, BYU... BYU's defense handed Utah Tech 420 yards of total offense. The first half was awe-inspiring and not in a good way. 11 (laughs) penalties for 132 yards, and you'd hope things would be a little cleaner at this point in the season as far as penalties go. And I know they were fired up because of some of the things the wide receivers from Utah Tech said during the week, and so they were a little bit chippier. That's what Kalani Satake said, but... 11 penalties for 132 yards. You can't do that in your second to last game of the season, not, luckily. Not not only that. I mean, this was kind of, all we heard about is, wow, this is really terrible that you know, BYU yeah. really needs a bye week. And so they finally get their bye week and yes. they come out of the bye week and and it's like they just played uninspired football for the first quarter. Exactly. Yeah, it's like yeah, oh, lots of things, lots of things to discuss, but luckily BYU figured some things out in the second half and got the game in hand and they became bowl eligible. Let's just Woo! focus on that, okay? Bowl eligible. Heck yeah, Cleon. Do you think the Cougars would get to this point after losing four straight? Hey, I'm 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 going to be really honest with you. After that loss to East Carolina, I was thinking, well, the best thing they can do beat Utah Tech, get the fifth win, beat Stanford, hopefully get the sixth win. Well, they proved me wrong. They then they proved me wrong again by playing uninspired, you know, against <laughs> yeah. Utah Tech. Um, but you know what? They beat they beat the teams they needed to beat. They're into a bowl game now, which is good. 
it'd be nice if they could beat Stanford, get a little bit of momentum going into that bowl game, whenever that bowl game is, wherever that bowl game is. It'd be nice to kind of keep that momentum up because now they've won two in a row. Uh, it doesn't matter if they played uninspired or the defense wasn't playing great or the offense wasn't playing great. The point is, you've won two in a row. You've got things to work on. Hey, you've got one more opponent. Let's go out there and attack the Stanford Cardinal. Absolutely. And I, I thought they'd somehow find a way to get here. And honestly, you have to be pretty dang bad these days, Cleon, to not make it to a bowl game. There are so many, and the players <laughs> and coaches alike knew that would not be a good look heading into the Big 12 if they didn't become bowl eligible. That would just be, just be terrible. Yeah. So I thought, or honestly, probably just... Really hoped BYU would make it to this point and get another chance to prove themselves and work out some kinks before heading into bigger and better things like the Big 12. Do you hope BYU plays a Power 5 team in the bowl game? I really don't care. I I guess for me, it's like this is the last year that they are not in a Power 5 conference, so I don't care. I think think it's more important to see what kind of an opponent they have. I mean, if they ended up playing uh, University of... Just for an example, let's say they played... Uh, University of Texas, San Antonio. They've had a good program the last few Hmm. years. They're not a P5 program. They're good. Uh, I'm not saying that's who I want BYU to face because I think UTSA might beat BYU, but I'm saying it's something like that. I I really don't care the opponent they play. I think think for me it's more of a where are they going to go and how are they going to do once they get there. So to me, I throw it out the door, you know, whatever you want to say there. Just play well regardless of your opponent. Exactly. Just win. Yeah, that that would be really nice. See, for me, I care. Uh, I don't want another UAB situation. BYU walking and thinking they have the game in the bag because it's a quote-unquote lesser opponent and then get blindsided and embarrassed. I think P5 matchups bring more eyeballs, and it's a better recruiting tool. So if I had it my way, I would like BYU to play a Power 5 team in the bowl game. But when you look at the potential bowl destinations and the matchups, it doesn't look like that's probably going to happen for BYU. Yeah, no, and and I understand. My attitude always is play whomever you're going to play and play them well. I know sometimes when, you know, when you've played sports or when I played sports, you look at the team and you're like, oh, we can beat them, and then you get humbled. Uh, And and that's a good learning lesson. I I just don't want to go in saying, oh, we should never play a non P5 team again because it just does us absolutely no good. I hate that talk. It does us no good. There are a lot of good non-P5 teams out there. BYU just beat one of them a few weeks ago when they played Boise State. That's a good non-P5 team. So I I personally, because BYU has not been in the P5 for so long, I'm not embarrassed to play a team from yeah. a non-P5 conference. I get where you're coming from. You want the prestige. You want to say, hey, yeah. look who we're playing. We're playing Purdue. Oh, look who we're playing. We're playing, even say, like an Arkansas. Even though right. Arkansas really hasn't been that good this year, I guess mm-hmm. you could say in the SEC. But you never know what's going to happen. So it's better when you beat some of those teams like that. I still remember coming off my mission. BYU played Oklahoma in the Copper Bowl. And it was just really cool to see them whoop up on a team from, at that time, uh, the Big Eight. Yeah. Was it the Big Eight then? I, I think so. But anyway, you know, a team like that. It was good to see BYU beat a team like that, and I, yeah. I totally get it. But you also have to understand there are good non-P5 teams out there, so I personally don't care. I understand where you're coming from, yeah. but I don't care who they play. And I definitely understand where you're coming to, and ultimately coming from as well. But ultimately, what we both want is for BYU to go out and win. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we want. Who cares where it's at, or who they're playing? Let's just win. Potential bowl destinations are Hawaii, Myrtle Beach, First Responder Bowl in Dallas, the Birmingham Bowl. Which there, game, there are a lot of different ones tons, from ESPN. There are tons, tons of different places BYU could end up playing. Which game do you want to see BYU playing? I can't believe I'm going to say this. I want them to go back to Hawaii. Uh, mm. They have a history out there. BYU played 
Hawaii in 2019 in the Hawaii Bowl. They lost 38-34. Whatever you want to say about that, you can say, but it's still good. There are guys on this team who went to that game back in 2019. I think they want to go back out and play in that game. If you go back to 1992, they played in the Aloha Bowl against the University of Kansas. Uh, So there's a little bit of history. I think they'd be able to get some fans out there if ESPN wants to get some fans. And I'm not just talking about fans here from Provo. I think that you have enough fans out on the islands who are BYU fans too. Maybe some that would cheer against them, but uh, <laughs> but I think there's an, there are enough BYU fans out there that would support them if they go out to Hawaii. Granted, I feel bad for the people who broadcast the game because it's going to be on Christmas Eve. But mm. for me, I would say there uh, backups. I'd say Frisco Bowl or Armed Force, Forces Bowl. Both those games are in the Dallas Fort Worth like Metroplex area. Um, I think that would be good because you're going to be playing a lot of games down there in the future. You can maybe get to some recruits down there. That'd probably be my two backups. Uh, Gasparilla Bowl in Florida wouldn't be bad either. They'd be playing at Raymond James Stadium again where they played the first game of the season. Yeah, The places I don't want to go, the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. Yeah, no thanks. And also the New Mexico Bowl. BYU's been been to both those bowl games. Yeah. I don't think they ever want to return. Or at least I don't want them to return. And we don't want to see them play in the blue turf <laughs> ever again. Uh, to be honest for me, I don't care that much where they play. Outside of the New Year's Six Bowl games, they all feel about the same. You know, I think it's cool to go to a fun, maybe tropical destination for the team. But as a fan, watching from home, I don't care where they go. I, I would like BYU to go to somewhere where a lot of fans can come and watch and support the team. Well, then maybe you should hope for the yes, famous true. Idaho Potato Bowl because well, that's just right up the road. Beyond that one. <laughs> uh, preferably somewhere BYU hasn't been to recently, just to spice things up. But I think the opponent is more important than the place in this case. Believe it or not, BYU has one game left in this roller coaster season before it goes bowling. It seemed like a long season. I feel like so much has happened. That's funny because I feel like it's has it just flown like by flown for, for me. Yes. Woo. Uh, and it's against Stanford team, who is just three and eight. But here's a little more motivation if we need it. Stanford is the only Pac-12 team BYU has never beaten in what? its history. Of course, they've only played twice. Twice but... they are zero and two. The only time the Cougars played Stanford was in 2003 and 2004, and those years were pair a part of three straight losing seasons. Uh, I remember those seasons well. Yes. Uh, 2003 BYU lost at home to Stanford, 18 to 14. Uh, John Beck played in that game. I think everyone remembers John Beck. The freshman uh, John Beck. Exactly. Uh, he had five, not he had, but the team had five turnovers on that day. With less than five minutes left in the game, BYU was leading 14-12. to Coach Gary Croton called for a pass on first and 10 from their own 20-yard line. And that led to this famous quote from Gary Croton that said, I'd rather win by nine than by two. Beck threw an interception. Stanford went down and scored, and that's how they lost the game 18-14 to to Stanford in 2003. Yes, I actually remember that game. Not fondly, but I do remember that game. Well, Cleon, if we're ever feeling down, at least it's not the early 2000s, right? <laughs> in 2004, Stanford won 37-10. to The Cougars seemed to beat themselves in this game. BYU had seven turnovers, 14 penalties for 125 yards. John Beck and Matt Berry got hurt in the game, so Jason Beck came in and had 232 yards passing in the game and three interceptions this last game a week after BYU beat Notre Dame 20 to 17 in the season opener I remember that feeling too because you're just like hey they beat Notre Dame oh my (laughs) goodness BYU yeah they're back whoops never mind roller coaster well Saturday let's get a win shall we I would love for (laughs) BYU to say they've beaten every team in the Pac-12 
right before the Pac-12 dissipates. It would just sweeten up the season just a little bit. Wow, you're anticipating a a dissipation. I I can't even speak English. Oh, well. Dissipation. Yeah, dissipation. (laughs) It's a new word I've come up with. Yep. Coming up, the creator and host of TreeCast podcast, Troy Clarity, joins us to give his insight into why the Cardinal has come crashing down this season. This is Cougar Tailgate. Welcome back to Cougar Tailgate. Not that long ago, the Stanford Cardinal football program was steady and strong. Head coach David Shaw's crew had gone to a bowl game each year from 2011 to 2018, including three Rose Bowls and a Fiesta Bowl. Then in 2019, 4-8, 2021, 3-9, and this season they're 3-8. To help us understand more about the Cardinal is TreeCast podcast host Troy Clarity. Troy, thanks for joining me. Thank you. It's great to be with you. How are you guys doing out there? Uh, we're doing great. We're doing great. What has happened to this once mighty Stanford Cardinal team? I know it's kind of a broad question, but it seems weird yeah. that they fell flat in 2019 and they really haven't they really haven't returned. Well, a, a broad question, yes, but there's also a, a lot of different things that have converged to make uh, the, this trend what it has been. In 2019, they ran out of offensive linemen and ran out of them very quickly. Thanks to some unfortunate recruiting things that happened a couple years previously and some injuries that happened very early in this season with Walker Little being lost for the year uh, early in 2019, actually in the season opener against Northwestern, and a couple other injuries along the front there. That really put Stanford behind the eight ball in the 2019 season, and so much of, of what Stanford has been built upon over the years has been on its offensive line. So they are literally throwing guys out there who were freshmen. Stanford's on the quarter system. So you were literally having guys on the offensive line who were starting and playing in games before they'd even walked into their first class at Stanford. Oh and really, really Stanford unable to, to, to kind of uh, re- recover from that in the 2019 season. 2020, I think people forget. Stanford went 4-2 that year, started off 0-2. Turned it around, won four games, all on the road. The last three because they couldn't play in Santa Clara County because that was fall of 2020. And, of course, Santa Clara County with uh, some of the more uh, stringent uh, restrictions uh, for COVID-19 that anybody had um, in the country. But Stanford able to put it together and win their final four games. But last year and this year, I think it's been a confluence of things mostly due to injuries. That certainly hasn't helped. Stanford had five different guys taking snaps for them at quarterback in the 2021 season. That's not conducive to winning football. This year, they've had six different guys playing offensive tackle. Their running back room, which was already not very deep to begin with after the transfers by Austin Jones and uh, Nathaniel Pete to USC and Missouri, respectively. So now you had EJ Smith and Casey Philkins and a couple walk-ons behind them. E.J. Smith lasts a game and a half. Casey Filkins plays very well, but he's gone after about week six. Then the walk-ons get hurt, too. So right now, Stanford's lone running back is actually converted safety, who played his heart out against Cal last week. But injury's a big problem there. Injury's a big problem defensively, too. And oh, by the way, you know, with how college football operates these days with a transfer portal and all those sorts of things, it's very, very difficult for Stanford to be able to restock a roster. Stanford had zero experienced defensive linemen coming into this year. No other program would have allowed themselves to be in that position because they would have been able to use the transfer portal. So it's 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 a weird confluence of things, um, injuries, inefficiency, uh, just all sorts of things that go into having a tough season. It's happened to Stanford in 2022. 
I know you may answer, you may have already answered this, but what do you think Stanford needs to get back the way they were when they were at the top of the Pac-12? Is it really just health and getting guys who are going to be able to play all four years and not having people leave via the transfer transfer portal? Yeah, yeah, those are your two things. I mean, health is the simple thing, right? And and these are these are just injuries. I mean, football's a rough game, right? We all know this. Injuries are going to happen. I'm sure BYU is, has has had its slew of injuries and guys that have that have been lost, guys that, that, that have been starters that have been counted on coming into the year, at least other points during the year that have been lost due to injury. This isn't something that is 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 unique uh, just to Stanford. It's something that just about every college football program is having to deal with. Now, obviously, some programs healthier than others, and Stanford has not been one of the healthier programs out there. So that's. That's the easy solution to a lot of this, but the more intricate and the more detailed solution is Stanford being able to compete in the transfer portal. And it was interesting. Uh, David Shaw had his weekly press conference uh, late on Tuesday morning, and one of the things that he led with was the fact that he and the football program and the athletic department have been in conversations with university leadership about Hey, let's finally see what we can do to be able to tra- to be able to compete in the transfer portal and, and maybe be a bit more aggressive in the NIL collective. So uh, apparently, the football program and the athletic department have been in conversations um, with university administration and uh, the admissions office about perhaps rethinking some approaches that it has had uh, towards uh, those respective departments. So, you know, the easy thing is that Stanford needs to get healthy and stay healthy when it really matters most throughout the entire season. The more intricate answer is that it needs to be able to manage its roster and it needs to be able to supplement it. Look, they're going to still be able, they're, they're still going to try to, I, I, I don't think they're going to go nuts, you know, <laughs> with the transfer portal just based on the kind of school that Stanford is and how it operates. So it's not going to go off like Mississippi State or UCLA and just bring guys in out of the port or USC and just ha- have a complete and total roster ton- turnover from one year to the next due to the portal. They're still going to try to bring in guys, recruit them and coach them and keep them on the farm for four to five years. But hopefully this would give Stanford a chance to be able to supplement its roster with transfers. So they're not walking into a season with literally zero experience defensive linemen coming into the season. So, so health, and the transfer portal, those are probably the two big things that Stanford needs to be able to turn things around in a big way. There's got to be some positives that you can take away from this season. I know 3-8 and eight doesn't look good, and there have been some right. blowouts in there too, but have you seen glimmers of optimism from this team? Yeah, and, and, and look, Stanford did not get the axe back, lost that chance, had a 17-6 lead against Cal last week going into the fourth quarter before things spiraled out, and uh, Cal eventually got away with a 27-20 win. So Stanford uh, will not have the axe, will not have a chance to bring back the axe uh, to Stanford this year, but at least it has the Legends Trophy. That's the trophy between Stanford and Notre Dame, and uh, Stanford was able to get the win, the late win in South Bend in mid-October that stands as probably the high point of the season for Stanford so far. Um, individually, and it's unfortunate that that this young man got hurt along the way, I believe, at some point during the Utah game, and we will not get a chance to see him for the remainder of the season. But Ernest Cooper, fresh, true freshman edge rusher, and a, a lot of the 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 emphasis and 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 I don't like the, using this word necessarily, but hype about 
the true freshman coming in for Stanford pretty much centered around uh, David Bailey, another edge rusher. And a lot of that was because he was an early enrollee. Something else that Stanford was slow to wake up to, but they were finally able to start bringing early enrollees in uh, starting a couple of years ago or so. So David uh, was able to come in in January, get a couple uh, get a couple quarters underneath his belt academically and get a spring underneath his belt from a football standpoint. And he has played well. That being said, Ernest Cooper, who didn't come in as an early enrollee, came in in the fall. When he first took the field against Arizona State and played edge, he changed the trajectory of that entire game. Speed, aggression, getting to the ball carrier no matter where he was, upfield, downfield, sideline to sideline. It was breathtaking to watch. So Bailey and Cooper, assuming those guys remain healthy throughout their main of their careers, they could be some great bookends upon the edge uh, for Stanford going forward. Are the Cardinal faithful going to show up for this last game of the season? I'm talking about the fans because social media has documented how the team has had a hard time drawing fans to Stanford Stadium uh, in the year 2022. Well, last time I checked, uh, attendance has been an issue throughout much of college football, right? True. I was checking That's out uh, the the LSU uh, U, UAB game um, last week, and uh, it was 45 degrees, and the stands were maybe half full for an LSU game in Baton Rouge. I was told that SEC games mattered more. So, you know what? It, attendance is what it is. We do know this. Lavani Damuni, Stanford linebacker, who has has some ties to the LDS church, if memory serves me correctly. He's pumped for this one because he says he's going to have like 50 to 60 folks in Stanford Stadium for this one. He had to ask for a lot of tickets uh, for this one. So, look, it's going to be tough. 8 p.m. kickoff. Those are never great for the uh, for the uh, fan in stadium experience. Uh, temperatures, I haven't looked, but it's going to be dry. It's probably going to be quite chilly, probably temperatures in the 40s or so. So weather isn't going to be that that typical, you know, chamber of commerce, you know, sun splash Saturday afternoon on, on the farm uh, type situation. So is it going to be tough for fans to be able to show up for, uh, to this one, uh, even, you know, with Stanford's three and eight record coming into this one? Yeah, sure. But you know what? That's that's just that's just, it, it is what it is at this point. Troy Clarity is the host of the TreeCast podcast. Thanks for joining us on Cougar Tailgate. Appreciate it. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay sane. Cleon, with the move to the Big 12, BYU may not have as many opportunities to play teams in the Pac-12. Outside of the University of Utah, BYU is only scheduled to play two Pac-12 teams in the next 12 years, Arizona in 2026 and 27, and Stanford in 2031. Are you going to miss playing the Pac-12 teams? I am. I'm a West Coast guy through and through. I, I loved it when they played five Pac-12 teams in 2021, beating all of them. In many ways, I wish the Pac-12 would have married the Cougars instead of just dating them for several years. Uh, I, I would have liked BYU to join the conference. Yeah, I'm going to miss playing them. I'm hoping we can see a few more games with Pac-12 opponents in the future. I'm with you. I love the regional matchups, especially against Power 5 teams. They just mean more to fans, and they're good for recruiting, and they're easier to travel to. But I have to say, I'm glad we didn't marry the Pac-12 because it wasn't a good fit for several reasons. I think a friends with benefits situation was much better. So neither party had to compromise their beliefs, but could still have a little fun. The Pac-12 is a very liberal conference, and I just think it wouldn't have worked out that way. Regionally, it would have been a dream, right? It would have been a yeah. fantastic fit for BYU. Religiously, not so much. I think the Big 12 is a much better fit. But I, I, I just personally think that uh, unfortunately, the Pac-12 put too much into everything else instead of just saying, 
but think about it for the sports aspect of it. Yeah, <laughs> so. I know. It's so true. Here's how well BYU has matched up against Pac-12 teams in the past. All-time BYU has 34 wins and 49 losses to the Pac-12 teams, not named Utah, by the way. Arizona against Arizona, four wins, two losses. USC, two wins, two losses. Cal, three wins, two losses. Washington State, four wins and one loss. So they've kind of had Washington State's number. UCLA, three wins, nine losses. And Washington, four wins and seven losses. Let's talk about some of the most memorable games against Pac-12 teams. Here are some nominees, starting with the most recent. 2021, BYU-Arizona State, the Tyler Algier punch. Who can forget that? Penalties everywhere because of the crowd noise, but the Cougars came out 27-17 to on top of the Sun Devils. And then in 2019, BYU against USC, the Cougars win in overtime 30-27 to with the game-sealing interception by Diane Gamwoluku. Trips to the wide right for Slovis in the gun. He claps the hands, takes a chest high snap. He will throw quickly, batted up and intercepted. Did they get it? If they got it, it's over. It's over. The Cougars picked it off. And in overtime, they won it. I was on the sideline for this, and uh, the crowd rushed the field after, and I literally almost got trampled. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was looking for Kalani Satake to do the interview, and it took me forever. But uh, it was it was a fun experience. That was a good game. 2008, BYU beats Washington in Seattle on the road, 28-27. An excessive celebration call on Huskies quarterback Jake Locker after his touchdown pushed them back to a 34-35 yard PAT. And you can hear it in this highlight from the Fox announcers that they didn't quite agree with that call. They say... Celebrate with your teammates. Don't self-aggrandize. That's exactly what Locker did. Exactly. Now here's the game. Wasn't in anybody's face now a 35-yard extra point try by Ryan Perkins to take it to overtime. It's blocked. And that is purely in the hands of the officials. By the way, Jan Jorgensen came up with the block. I thought it was interesting because it, it was a bad call. I'm just going to admit it to you. It was a bad call saying excessive celebration. On the other hand, it's a 35-yard kick. Your kicker should be able to make that. And if you're going to allow Jan Jorgensen to block that, that's your offensive line's fault. That's your kicker's fault for not getting it up in the air quick enough. Jan Jorgensen's only 6'2", by the way. Yeah. Just to so, put that in perspective. So, I mean, you can say what you want. It was a bad penalty, but you should still be able to make that PAT. By the way, the following week, BYU beat UCLA 59 to nothing. Uh, other games of <laughs> note, uh, 2007 Las Vegas Bowl versus UCLA, uh, one off of a blocked field goal. We've talked about it on the podcast before. Cougars win 17-16. 2006 Las Vegas Bowl against Oregon, one of my favorites. I was at that game, 38-8 BYU. Lots of smack talk by the Ducks coming into that game, so it was kind of nice to see BYU uh, lay it on them. And then one of my favorites, I'm going to go way back in the time machine, 1989, BYU 45, Oregon 41. A good old-fashioned shootout between Ty Detmer and Bill Musgrave of the Oregon Ducks. Uh, one of my favorite reasons uh, for this game, I lived in Oregon at the time. It was The game was in Provo. I watched it on the church satellite system <laughs> at the local LDS chapel. Classic. Yes. So that was a lot of fun for me. All right. That does it for us today. Thanks again to Troy Clarity for coming on the show with us. You can join the Cougar Tailgate wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, or on BYUradio.org. Cougar Tailgate is a production of BYU Radio.